Okay, please take a seat and please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we're looking at the sixth of Jesus' seven letters written to the churches, looking today at his letter to the church in Philadelphia. And while you're opening your Bibles, a reminder that we have our congregational meeting, 7 o'clock this Wednesday night in here, and we are encouraging everyone to come out to hear reports from our last year of ministry and to look at our 2020 budget, to look at that together and to decide on that together. Well, you may have seen these T-shirt slogans recently. I'm done adulting for the day. I'm not sure if you've seen that one. Or adulting, I don't want to do this anymore. Or adulting is brutal. Adulting or de-adulting is the ugly new term for, I think, an ugly new attitude. The attitude that it's too hard being an adult. It's too hard to, to bear adult responsibilities and we all need to take a break. We all need to de-adult for a time. It's too hard to keep working, to be responsible for myself, to take up my responsibilities, to care for others, to pay the bills, to participate in society. I'm going to bow out and leave that to others for a time. So Peter Pan is no longer the cute eccentric. He's becoming the depressing norm, right? And I don't know about you, but more and more, I'm going to the supermarket and I'm seeing grown-ups wearing their pyjamas during the day and even onesies dressed as uh, dragons. And uh, Am I the only one? Or are we seeing more and more of this? <laughs> okay, I hope that's none of you. I really do. <laughs> now, because the... The, the values and the atmosphere of our society are always pressing in upon the church. It's inevitable that this tiredness with responsibility is going to spill over into the church. It's going to press upon the church. Because we know that it's hard to be a Christian. We know that it's hard to keep swimming against the current it's hard to, to keep walking uphill and the Christian life is very much that narrow uphill path. It would be so nice, wouldn't it, to stop and to take a break, to bow out and just to go along with the flow. And this, as we've seen, has been the temptation for the Christians of these seven churches that we've been looking at, the temptation to bow out, to give up, to give up being a Christian, to succumb to the pressure and to just go along with the flow. And we see and we hear the words of Jesus encouraging the Christians of Philadelphia to keep going in their Christian walk. And we're going to look at that now. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, these are your words. You are speaking to us here and now. Give us listening ears, we pray. 
King Jesus, we hang upon your every word now. And we pray that every word will transform our heart and our mind and our life. For the sake of your name. Amen. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, well, along with the, the second letter to the church in Smyrna, the letter to the, to the Christians of Philadelphia is the, these are the only two letters where Jesus does not have something negative to say about the church. This is one of the two positive letters to the seven churches. And he says to the Christians of Philadelphia, and he's speaking to all Christians of all ages, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. Look at those divine titles given to our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Holy One, as the Lord of the Old Testament is the Holy, Holy, Holy One. That's our Lord Jesus. He is true. He's, in, in other words, he is the source of truth. Everything he says is, is correct, is genuine, and he is utterly trustworthy. We can entrust ourselves to him. And he holds the key of David. Now, what's that? What is the key of David? And what's the significance of Jesus Christ holding the key of David? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God came to King David and he said, I'm going to raise up from you and from your line a king. And he's not going to be like any earthly king. He's going to be a universal king. He's going to rule over all my creation and he's not going to rule for a lifetime, but for all eternity. God promised that there would be a universal and eternal king. And to say that Jesus holds the key of David is to say that he is that king. He holds the key to absolute sovereign rule over all creation. And I want you to turn back, please, to chapter 1, verse 18. And let's remind ourselves of what that key is a key to. He says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. So when it says that Jesus holds the key of David, it means that he exercises complete sovereign rule over death and over Hades, and Hades is the place of the dead. I am the living one, he says. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. It's very interesting to me that between 2012 and 2019, up, up until this year, you'll recall Julian Assange was holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy in the middle of London. It's very curious to me because the British police had a warrant to arrest him, they wanted to arrest him. He's right in the middle of London, but they couldn't arrest him. Why was that? It's because British sovereignty ended at the doors of the embassy. British rule, uh, according to international law, doesn't extend over the territory of the Ecuadorian embassy. And so Julian Assange was 
was uh, um, safe from being arrested by the British police until the Ecuadorian assembly allowed them to come in. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that his sovereignty, his rule doesn't stop at the gates of hell and death. He's saying that my rule doesn't stop there. It extends over the realm of death. It extends over Hades. And that's because he died on the cross and defeated death. You remember that at the moment Jesus died, graves burst open and dead people came out of their graves and were wandering the streets of Jerusalem. A tremendous miracle. God's sign that Jesus had conquered death and the grave and the place of death. And this is absolutely foundational for what Jesus is about to say to the, the Christians of Philadelphia. So we need to be really clear about this. We need to, to get this foundation clear in our minds if we're going to understand what he's going to continue to say to the Christians in Philadelphia. My rule extends over death and over the realm of death. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. He determines who remains in death. He determines who comes out of death, who's released and resurrected from death. Nothing can overturn his rule or challenge his rule over death. Let's be really clear about that. Let's get that foundation clear in our mind so that we can understand the rest of this letter. In verse 8, he says, I know your deeds. He knows your deeds, Cornerstone. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Do you hear how emphatic this is? When, when, when Jesus locks a door, it stays locked. When he unlocks a door, it stays open. There's, there's no greater power than him that can undo his work. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And do you hear what Jesus is saying here to the Christians of Philadelphia? He's saying, I know you, and you are weak. In yourselves, you are feeble. You're helpless. Yet, you've kept going. There's a paradox here. A church of weaklings has kept going in the faith. They've kept going with Christ. They haven't succumbed to the, the culture that's engulfing them. They haven't de-adulted. They haven't bowed out of the Christian walk, that swimming against the current, that uphill climb. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? You're weak and yet you've kept going. You've kept going, although the political might of Rome surrounds you and threatens you and threatens to take away your property and your, your livelihood, your freedom, even your life. You've kept going, even though you're under Satan's attack. And, and looking ahead for just a moment, in Revelation 12, listen to how the devil is described. 
Just listen to this. He's described in Revelation 12 as an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. We'll look at this in detail when we get there, which at this rate should be before 2028, but we'll, we'll get there. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. To hear how Revelation describes the devil, a great red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, a horn is a symbol of strength, ten crowns, his star sweeps a third of the stars out of the sky. He is a mighty creature, a very powerful creature, and the devil is attacking God's people. He's attacking the church. And Jesus says, this mighty devil is attacking the church and the church in themselves. You're weak, Jesus says, you're feeble. Yet, you've kept going. You're still going. You haven't given up the faith. How is that? But not only had the Christians of Philadelphia been attacked by Rome and attacked by the, this, this mighty creature, the devil, but the attack had come from within as well. Their own hearts, their own ingrained sin and tendency to apostasy. Weak Christians, assailed from every direction by powerful forces, yet they have kept going. They have not given up the faith. How is this? How, how can we explain this? If, if a toddler subdued a polar bear, you would have to... How is that possible? And that would be far less miraculous. That is far less miraculous than a Christian who goes on in the Christian faith in spite of these very powerful enemies pressing on them all the time. What's the answer? How do the Christians keep walking faithfully day after day, week after week, year after week, year in, in, in the face of these powerful enemies? It's because of Jesus. It's because of the fact that he holds the keys of death and Hades. It's because what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. It's because he had placed that open door before them that no one could shut. This is to say that the reason the Philadelphian Christians had kept going because, was because Jesus was in their midst holding them up, empowering them. He was the source of their strength. He was their strength. They were feeble. He's strong. He kept them going. And it was so important for them to remember this. Do you know why? Because if we forget that Jesus is our strength, then what do we immediately do? We forget him. We let go of him. We stop looking to him. If we forget that he is our strength, that the reason you and I are still Christians today, despite our weakness, is because he has opened a door that no one can shut. 
If we forget that and we start to think it's our strength, we become proud, we become complacent, and we stop looking to him. And so you see what Jesus is, is doing here. He's saying, Philadelphian Christians, I know you, and you're still going on with the faith, and here's the reason, here's the source of your strength. It's me. It's me. I open that door that no one can shut. I hold the keys of death and Hades, and I've turned those keys for you, and, and no one else can lock them again. The fact that you are still a Christian today, in spite of the fact that you live in, a, in an anti-Christian culture, it's, it's the air you breathe, in spite of the fact that the, this mighty dragon with ten heads, uh, seven heads, ten crowns, seven horns, is, is assailing you, despite the fact of your own sinful heart and sinful habits, it's a miracle, isn't it? It's miraculous that where any of us are here, it's supernatural, the fact that anyone goes on in the Christian faith. And this is what Jesus is telling the Philadelphians. It's my strength, it's me working in you. And so he goes on to say in verse 9, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. The Philadelphians had kept Jesus' command and had patiently endured. They were like trees standing in a cyclone. And last night I watched, I watched the rugby semi-final, England and the All Blacks. And in fact, during the week, if you've read the article, you'll see I did a little bit of research about, about the scrum three tons of humanity in a scrum <laughs> and, and 7,000 newtons of force. And I, I don't really get newtons, but it, that's a lot, right? It's got to be a lot. Some engineer just affirmed that for me. I know we've got a church half full of engineers. Okay, we can get some nods. That's, that's a lot. And, and, and you see the, uh, the opposing men standing firm against all of that weight and power. And this was the Philadelphian church. They had stood strong. They had stood firm. They hadn't buckled. And it's because Jesus had loved them. And it's because of him who holds the keys of death and Hades. It's because what he opens, no one could shut. And listen to this. What he is saying right here since you have kept my command to endure patiently, since, in other words, I have been working in you and strengthening you and I've loved you and I've opened that door for you that cannot be shut, 
saying is, you have kept my command to endure patiently. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Jesus is saying, in a nutshell, Philadelphian Christians, it's going to get a whole lot harder for you. You think it's been hard so far, it's just going to get harder for you. But I have kept you this far, and I will keep you in the trial that is about to come. And I want you to notice how Jesus keeps his people in trials. He has essentially two options, doesn't he? If he wants to deliver his people from trials, he's got two options. One is that he can pluck them out of the trials so that they don't have to face the trials and the difficulties or he can stand with them. He can pluck you out of the fire or he can stand with you in the fire. The Bible says that that is what he always does for his people. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. The Lord didn't, he didn't pluck them out of the fire. He stood with them in it and strengthened them so that they were able to come out of that fire unscathed. Not even their clothes were singed. There wasn't even a whiff of smoke about them, says Daniel. And this is what our Lord Jesus is saying to the the Christians of Philadelphia. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, seeing as you've, you've got this far because of my strength and my love, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. And as we we proceed in the book of Revelation, and particularly as we get to to chapter 6, we're going to see these dreadful trials unleashed upon the earth. And Jesus is saying, don't be dismayed. What are some of these trials? War, famine, disease, death. Dreadful trials. But Jesus has held his people up and he will continue to hold them up. And so he says in verse 11, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hear that. Hear these words of Jesus. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown crown. Who wants to take your crown? The devil wants to take your crown. The crown here is the the, the crown of victory that all God's people will will receive when they see the Lord Jesus on on that last day, that day of judgment, and they receive that crown of victory. And the devil wants to take that crown. And the world doesn't want to see you wearing that crown. And Jesus says, hold on, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Let me flip that around and put it like this. If you don't hold on to Christ, you'll lose that crown. If you don't hold on to Christ, he will 
the devil will take away that crown. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, listen to God's warning to his people. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. It's the same warning. And we see this same warning in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. If, this is talking about those who turn away from Christ, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. And in that same letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, Be on your guard, says the apostle, so that you may not be carried away by the, the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we read the same warning in Hebrews chapter 6. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus is saying to me and to you this morning, the fact you are here today as Christians is a supernatural act of God and his love and grace and Christ by his death, has unlocked the gates of hell and death. And what he locks, no one can, what he unlocks, no one can relock. And he has helped you. He has sustained you. It's been his strength. And he's saying, never forget that. And don't be complacent. And don't, don't fall back into pridefully thinking, how wonderful it is that I've been so strong for all these years. It's his strength only. And so hold on, he says. Keep holding on to me. Don't become complacent. Don't let go of me, he says. Well, you lose that crown. Don't let go. Keep going, says our Lord Jesus. Keep going. When you're abused for being a Christian, Hold on. And when temptation comes, and it's so fierce that it's, that it's almost unbearable, hold on, he says. Keep holding on. And when friends leave you because you're a Christian, hold on. When your church disappoints you, and when your church leaders disappoint you, hold on. Hold on to him. Don't let go. 
He has conquered sin and death. He holds David's key. What he opens cannot be shut. Hold on to him. Look, I I don't think there's anyone here who's going to be buying one of those unadulting T-shirts that I I talked about before. I, I, I don't think there's anyone here who would buy into that, that the kind of irresponsibility that, that that promotes. But we do agree, don't we? We do agree that there's got to be something more than this life. There's got to be something beyond the grind of this life. And that's why you're here. Because the world and all that it offers doesn't satisfy And you're tired of the pain, the hurts, the disappointments, the clamour for success and riches and popularity exhausts you, disgusts you. Your own sin disgusts. You know you were made for so much more and to be so much more. Well, you've seen Jesus Christ. And he is the Holy One and he is true. And you long to walk with him and you long to see him face to face. That's why you're here, isn't it? That's why you're here. Because you long to see Christ. You want to walk with Christ. You want to know Christ. You want to live in his love and his light and his joy. You long to bear his name, to be able to say, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. And you want that forever. Well, Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia in these final words, that's the reward for the one who continues to hold on to him. The one who is victorious, he says in verse 12, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. And the sons of Korah sang that beautiful psalm. And I reckon they must have noticed the sparrows nesting up in the ceiling of the temple. And they they saw the sparrows making a nest in the ceiling of the temple. And it inspired them. And they thought, if only I could be like that. If only I could make my nest in the temple of God and never have to leave his presence. The sparrows get to. If only I could live in the living presence of God day after day, night after night. Well, Jesus says to the one who holds on, I will make you a pillar in my temple, a permanent part of my temple, he says, unmoved never to be taken away. And I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. The one who is victorious, the one who holds on, will be a permanent part of the temple of God in his presence and will bear his name for all eternity. 
Brothers and sisters, I hope you've heard what our Lord Jesus is saying to you today. It's my strength that has held you. Never forget that. Never become complacent. Never become proud. Never think that I've got this far because of who I am and what I've done. It's his strength. And so he says, hold on to me. I'm the strong one. Keep holding on to me. Never let go of me. I'm the only one who can bring you through this. Hold on to me. Don't let go. And you will be a pillar in my temple and you'll bear my name for all eternity. Amen. Yes, Lord Jesus, we, we hear what you've said to us today. And you've commanded us to hold on. And I, and I pray for any here this morning who, have, who are, have been tempted to let go, who are being tempted to let go right now. And I pray, Lord Jesus, strengthen them, continue to uphold them. May they never let go. And Lord Jesus, we look forward to these tremendous promises that you've made. We thank you that we can be a, a pillar in your temple to bear your name. Lord Jesus, we lift up our, our prayers, our hearts and our souls to you this morning for the sake of your name. Amen.